This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. Some of that lovely wisdom of Thomas today, but I also heard from t- today from somebody who said that they managed to get through the whole book of Thomas. They read the whole book of Thomas. Anybody else here take that on? Somebody else? Yes, yes, yes. So yes, it's not a long book. It's short by book standards. It's a pamphlet. The pamphlet of Thomas might be the way we'd name it today. Um, but it's got some jewels in it, written at the same time, same out of the same milieu as Matthew and, uh, and Mark in, uh, in the Syrian, sort of, we call it the Syrian provenance. Um, very fancy word, just meaning that's where it arose. And it moved into uh, the, the Egyptian context, the Coptic Christians, and became part of their uh, sacred lore too. But we lost the book. We lost it for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then when we found it again, we've been grappling with it, figuring it out. How does it fit? What does it mean? Boy, look at all these things in it that are the same as some of the other stories we know. So, we have a few things together that we're going to focus on. We're continuing our series where we are delving into the themes and the context surrounding the story of the lost coin. The lost coin story where the woman searches her house looking for what she has lost. This story only appears in the Gospel of Luke. Um, And here it is. I'm going to read it for you because it's short. What woman, Luke, reports Jesus saying, if she owns ten silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, She calls together her friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me because I have found my lost coin. And in the same way I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. The story appears in Luke, sandwiched between two other stories that we tend to know a whole lot better. One, especially, is the story of the lost sheep. All these, but all these stories, all these stories of lostness in here, they build on and they share that theme of lostness, whether it is we who wander off and others who exclude us, or whether we have allowed others to wander away. All these stories tell about people who rejoiced when what was lost was found and restored to the whole, except maybe a few. And it's important to see where those folks are not rejoicing. And we learn that even as the community rejoices in the return of the lost coin, and this is where those reluctance come in, the lost son, the lost son, the lost sinner, the lost coin, even as we rejoice, so does God. But not everybody. So we go further today and we continue to grapple with these stories of lost sheep and coins and men and that Jesus in our Bible tries to communicate not only God's joy in returning what was lost, but Jesus knows that some of us will struggle mightily with the message that we are to go and seek those who to us 
are lost in maybe a way that's negative. So a really good example of this, and Jesus talks about Jonah some in the New Testament. Jonah is a really good example. God shows up in Jonah's life, and we know the story of Jonah and the whale, many of us, and says, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh because I need you to, to give these people a last chance to save themselves. Jonah does not want to do that. And I think we all figured that out. Jonah runs as fast as he can in the opposite direction. He doesn't like the people of Nineveh. He doesn't want to help the people of Nineveh. He doesn't want to be near the people of Nineveh. If they go up in a big ball of fire, he will be there toasting marshmallows on the outside of the flames. Jonah wants nothing to do with this restoration. So he gets on a ship, and he causes all sorts of trouble. He goes the wrong way. There's a big calamity on the ship. His shipmates are not happy with him. They threatened him to shove him overboard. He says, well, no, I'll jump. Off he goes. He gets swallowed by that whale. And only when his, only to save his own life does he reluctantly and grudgingly agree to help the city. And then the whale burps him back up. So, the point is that so many of the ways that the Bible grapples with this idea of the lost sinner and what the lost lamb might be like and what restoration might look like. And Jesus tells these stories to a very, of the lost to a group of Pharisees who are not unlike Jonah. That's his audience. When Jesus is telling these stories, he's telling them to this group of Pharisees who don't want to hear it. Not only, so not only do we, do they, so we're going to struggle with those idea of these outcasts of not just being lost, but also considered unworthy and deserving of whatever consequences that might come their way. And we struggle with this idea that if these people really are unworthy and deserving of the consequences, how is it that God is willing to celebrate so greatly, even with the angels, when they are returned? And how horrible must it be to be somebody who is not able to celebrate with God? So, restoration is really good news, but it's bad news for the Pharisees because the kingdom is all about restoring what has been lost. So, over the last few weeks, we're gonna, we've talked about this in a lot of different ways, so I, I know that some of us might be feeling a little dizzy, like, wait, what does it really mean to get again? In Sunday school, right, we're taught there's one way to think about a story, there's one meaning, there's one takeaway, and what we discover is, if we really look at the way these stories are told, that there's a different way of telling them, even back in Jesus' day, and that there are different threads. Each one of these stories is like a beautiful tapestry the beautiful, can you, can you, the picture of the lamb and the picture of the trees and the pastures and the shepherds and the village, what part of that is singular? All these different parts of these stories. And we can only, with our mouth that speak one sentence at a time, can only pull one thread at a time from that tapestry. It's kind of like casting a stone into the ocean. At any given point in the ocean, even at the same point on a different time of day, you're going to see something different every time. Stories are like oceans of great depth. Down we go. Different things emerge. 
And we, as people who view it, we draw different things, staring into the panorama of the story. Anybody who's ever participated in a Bible study fellowship knows that when you read a story in that fellowship and you go around the circle and people share what's on their hearts, everybody pulls a different thread of the story. That's why we return on Sundays to these stories over and over again, inviting new understandings, dropping a fresh stone at a time, and me encouraging you to do that with these stories also, to be courageous and discovering them afresh and anew within you. So at this point, I want to segue back to the story of the lost sheep, but I was looking for a photo. I was looking for a photo that could help us with that transition. And so I Googled underwater sheep, and I got this. Is that the cutest thing you ever saw in your entire life? That is like a four-millimeter-long nudibranch, which is a kind of sea slug. That creature exists. It grazes on algae. It has two cute little eyes right in the front, just like a cartoon sheep. I, I just couldn't get enough of this. That it existed. What I expected to see was this. <laughs> Which luckily also came up in the Googling. So. But we can probably just get back to the regular sheep. Right? There he is. And he's so cute, right? So we've talked about the lost sinner, the lost sheep, as being maybe somebody a lot tougher than this little guy. But today we're going to stay a little bit more with this idea of the lamb. The lamb. And we're going to dig about, hear about lostness. So the story of the lost coin features everyday people, just like the story of the sheep does. Not kings or celebrities, but regular folks. Even folks that may not be too well thought of if you're a Pharisee, especially a woman sweeping her house or a shepherd who, as we know, sleeps with the sheep at night. So he's not going to smell real good every day. In addition to being in the Gospel of Luke, the story of the lost sheep appears in the Gospel of Matthew, and we read that story today, and the Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas, as you remember, we talked about, is that book of sayings and wise stories. So we're going to rediscover Thomas and the sheep story in Matthew together today. So I'm going to read from Matthew. I'm going to read it again. Be careful that you don't look down on these little ones. Matthew starts. I say to you that their angels in heaven are always looking into the face of my Father who is in heaven. And this is where we get this idea of guardian angels, right? I always thought that people had angels looking out for them. And that those angels are like, hey, somebody's mistreating that little lost lamb over there. What do you think? If someone had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered off, wouldn't the shepherd leave the 99 on the hillsides and go in search of the one who wandered off? If he finds it, I assure you, he is happier about having that one sheep than the 99 who wandered off. At the same way, my father who is in heaven doesn't want to lose even one of these little ones. We hear this story echoed in Thomas. I'm going to read from Thomas again. The kingdom is like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. One of them went astray, the largest. So Thomas is going to give us a nice big sheep here. The shepherd left the 99, and he sought the one until he found it. And after all the effort, he said to the sheep, I love you more than the 99. 
So with these two stories, even though one is from a book that was lost and not included in our Bible, each are closer to this, those, these two are closer together, Matthew and Thomas, than Matthew is to Luke. All three variations on the story have a shepherd thrilled to find the lost sheep. And in Matthew and Thomas, the story goes a bit further, telling us that the shepherd is happier at having that one sheep. Or as Thomas puts it, with the shepherd in the story, talks directly to the sheep and says, I love you more than the 99. So I have three children. And of course, in raising children, you are constantly with other people's children. And you can really feel on any given day that you are surrounded by a little flock. I used to call them my little ducks all in a row. So I have a story of a lost son who was also a lost lamb for a little while, one of the flock when they were in kindergarten. And this one was a very grown-up kindergartner who was able to be very independent and, after all, responsible for others in the flock who were not quite as old as they were. So this little lamb was always ready for school on time and not the, and mommy was not allowed to hover near the bus stop, which would be very embarrassing for somebody that responsible to have mama hovering. So, full disclosure, this is me. I have to stay back enough from the bus stop that it calms my mother's heart that I could drop kick anybody who came near my children and at the same time give my beautiful son the confidence he needed to navigate his world. Every day this was routine. He'd get ready and pack his backpack, and I'd trail him for a little bit of distance and watch him get on and off the bus. Then came the day when the bus came to drop him off, and then it went. But this little lamb did not get off the bus. Only a parent who has watched that bus recede without having their child can share the primal panic that you feel. I didn't have a cell phone. I went back to the house and called the school. They didn't have him in the office. He wasn't in the classroom. They radioed the driver who looked back through the, oh, it's not here. Minutes are eternal when you don't know where your child is. That awfulness was resolved in about 20 minutes. The driver, on getting back to the bus barn, walked through the seats to check for anything left behind, and there was that little lost lamb curled up on a back seat, fast asleep. <laughs> ha! I can tell you that when I picked my son up from school and grabbed him and hugged him, I loved him more than any child on the planet in that moment. So Thomas gets that part right. I think Thomas gets a lot of things right. The book of Thomas is not part of the Bible, and I guess I keep saying that over and over because I really want to be clear about that. But it does offer wisdom from the earliest days of the Christian faith. So you could say the story is like a lost coin to us. So there's another part of the story that I think is really uh, important here, is that Thomas talks about one other thing that the others do not. Thomas talks about the effort of finding that something that is lost. 
So this is Thomas again. The kingdom is like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and when one of them goes astray, the largest, he leaves the 99 and sought the one until he found it. After all the effort, he said to the sheep, I love you more than the 99. This doesn't show up in Matthew or, or Luke, all this effort. And then I realize when I read these allegorically, I think of God as the protagonist in a way, right? The one who does the finding. And God is omniscient, right? God doesn't have to work that hard. Of course, God wouldn't put any effort in and just be, God is God, God is God. God doesn't have to work on it. Thomas reminds me, puts my feet back on the floor that these are stories from Palestine from long ago when there were real shepherds, that we have a village woman in her home and a shepherd and uh, they're humble, they get tired, they need to sit down once in a while and this search took effort. So Thomas doesn't just remark on the effort it took as if it was a side note to remind us of our humanness. Thomas makes it part of the story. The effort is not only sometimes necessary, but actually becomes part of why the finding of the sheep mattered so much. And when we are to cast God as metaphor for what the stories are trying to tell us about what God cares about, that God makes the effort too that the unmoved mover is actually moved over and over again to try to reach us, to extend love, to find us, and to offer compassion, to welcome us. Whether we are the lost lambs or the lost sinners, we are welcomed, we are searched for. God engages the effort to get us back home. We are worth the effort. Somehow that is true despite the fact that I am a miserable human being. I am like the sheep or the coin or the lost son. I am found because God asks us to seek the lost and declares us to be worth the effort. I'll say that again. I am worth God's effort to reach me, to create me, to surround me with grace, to love me. I'll say that again. You are worth God's effort to reach you, to create you, to surround you with grace and to love you. I have one more bit of wisdom from Thomas to share. This pure Thomas, there aren't any parallels. This bit of text. So it's a bit of wisdom, so it's a little tangly on the ear, so just gird, gird your loins here. If those who lead you to say, look, the kingdom is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will precede you. If, those, if they lead you to say, it is the sea, then the fishes will precede you. Rather, the kingdom is inside of you and outside of you. When you come to know yourselves, then you will be known and you will realize that you are the children of the living Father. But if you do not come to know yourselves, then you exist in poverty, and you are poverty. I'm going to translate that a little bit. I'm going to paraphrase. If those who lead you and teach you say to you, look, the kingdom is in the sky, then you will look to the birds and decide it is they who will lead you closer to God, that they themselves must be closer to God, and you will follow them, but you will never find the kingdom. If they say to you, the kingdom is in the sea, then you will look to the fish 
and decide that the fish are holy and you must be like the fish and alive like the fish and through being a fish, then you will come to the kingdom of God. But you will not succeed. I say to you, the kingdom is not the earth. It's not the sky in a flight of fancy. It is not in the sea to swallow up the earth. The kingdom is inside you and outside of you. When you come to know who you are, you will be changed. That change will radiate from inside you to outside you. Others will see the change and they will know you are a child of God. You will feel the change within you. You will have been seen by God exactly as you are. You will be seen as you are, lost, found. You won't have to be something different for God to find you. And in that moment of being seen by God, when the shepherd's eyes find you, when the woman makes that sweep and the coin pops up and you are seen by God, you will realize who you are and know that you are a loved child of God. But if you do not look inside and outside and realize who you are and whose you are, then you will be poor indeed. You will exist in such poverty. Some of us spend a lifetime searching for God. Others spend a lifetime running, like Jonah running. Still others, such as the Pharisees, try to stop anyone from actually looking. For me, these stories remind me that when I search... Despite all my own longing, too often, I am looking in the wrong place. When I see folks in my parish, in Ashland, in our world, I see so many searchers. And I want to tell them, hold up, the whole time you've been looking in the wrong place. I want to say this, know this, God searches for you because you are worth the effort. My hope and my prayer in this wisdom of Thomas is that someday you will, we will all stop our foolishness long enough to be found and to be seen by God and to know that we are God's beloved children because the kingdom is inside us, because we are found, because we are children of God. Amen.